inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello and welcome to another episode of Outlook. First show of November, actually. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess farewell to Blindness Awareness Month. Yeah, we're actually still recording this during Blindness Awareness Month. Um, this is Friday, the October 30th that we're recording. But uh, as we are Ooh, in Halloween, COVID times and all this stuff it's uh we're still pre-recording from home so at least we still get to do the show every week yes and we're now available all across podcasting places right yeah i think i still can get on on more um but we do have pretty much the main ones covered apple podcast spotify soundcloud is our default website where you can find us and uh, also on stitcher now and tune in big app for radio and website yeah i don't know so. does everybody know what tune in is i barely know yeah tune in tune in uh radio is it's pretty pretty popular like millions of radio stations oh i don't know how many exactly but from all around the world <laughs> you can submit your stream to tune in so and podcasts are up there too obviously so okay well that's kind of a good segue uh we're gonna get into talking about more about tom uh, Decker in this episode, and he would have known what tune is. I imagine. I don't know. Thanks. Yes, I would say. I would say he would have, <laughs> as we talked about. So a couple of weeks ago, we had our our guest Rob on the show, and that was right around the same time that Tom Decker passed away. Um, so we did we did do a, a tribute on that show. Talked about him for the first fifteen minutes of the episode or so, and uh, asked Rob's opinion on him as well, because like a lot of blind people. <laughs> Uh, Rob also knew Tom. Again, we we pointed out before we didn't know him super well, but I, th- I mean, I, I I knew him more than you, I would say, because I worked with him a bit more back in the day. Um, but uh, it was just nice to to have that tribute then because it was very timely, and it, I mean, it still is. But um, we wanted to replay the episode because he was actually on Outlook just over two years ago now. On uh, I believe it was our fourth episode. Um, so. Yeah. We figured no better way to really pay tribute to Tom than actually have him talk and be interviewed and just let him tell everyone about himself. So we thought we would replay that that segment. And that was back when we were still just doing a half hour show. So the interview itself is about 26 minutes long. So um, we're going to we're going to get into that soon. So I thought I would let listeners know and anyone who's checking out this as a podcast will see that we will be replaying that show coming up here in a few minutes. Yeah, I just thought it would be a good idea. And as I like to say, as far as there being a famous blind Canadian, I'd say Tom Decker would be it. Would you? Yeah, I mean, he does seem to be, even um, even in the U.S. to some degree, I don't know who it was, but when we were at the convention in um, in Orlando back in 2018 for the National federation of the blind i uh 
I don't know where, I think it was the first night. It was called the Rookie Roundup where all the first time convention goers go to meet up. Um, and I think yeah. I was I was leaving and it was really crowded or something. And I was b- briefly talked to someone and they're like, are, are you Tom Decker? And I said, no. And they're like, oh, I noticed your Canadian accent. And I mean, if you ask any <laughs> blind people, I don't sound really anything like Tom Decker and you'll find out for yourself pretty soon. But yes. um, it just goes to show how even, I'm assuming this this was an American as it was uh, the convention for Americans. And it, I just have a feeling it was. Um, so I just thought it was it was funny that even there, I think, to some degree, because he did live, he lived in New York City and he lived in Texas, I guess, for a while. So um, he was he was all over. Born in Brantford. Funny that, that when somebody runs into you in in the U.S. and they find out you're Canadian, uh, you're a blind man and you're Canadian. That's you know the first guy they think of. I know. I thought that was. That was pretty interesting, and he was actually at that convention as well. But um, I didn't see him. There. Oh, okay. Well, that maybe that. Had, but I don't know if the person that knew person, that for sure. Maybe they did. But, no, um, they had run into him already or something. They thought. But the f- they the were fact rerunning the, the fact still stands. I think that they <laughs> knew who he was. They didn't just find out about him in 2018 during that week. It didn't sound like from them to right. identify me, thinking I was him. Uh, yeah, they probably knew him from. Maybe they knew him from one of those U.S. cities. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, he really, he really was uh, very, very well known in in the blind community, and uh, thought maybe you saying you were saying he was born in Brantford. Yeah. So, does he say that on the episode? We'll find it. I don't. (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna have to. um, (laughs) I haven't heard it in a while. I actually did listen to it a couple weeks ago when uh, we played a couple clips from it on the Rob. Castro oh, yeah. Giovanni episode from a couple weeks ago. We played a couple clips, so I did listen to it then, but uh, right. I don't always remember everything from hearing it once, so it will be a good refresher for me and for you to hear it again. And then once it's once we've heard the episode, we're going to come back at the end of this episode as well and uh, sum it up and give a few of our thoughts. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did know that he, you know, he, he'd done a lot in his 68 years, but I... You know, it's just interesting to think of a life like that and all the things that they they do over their lifetime. It's it is remarkable to sort of be able to look back and see. Yeah, well, it was really neat on the on his on his Facebook page. Um, I don't know if you I don't think maybe you can see all of this if you're not friends with him on Facebook. Right. Um, but uh, I am and I was able to see, for example, that he graduated. He might even mention this in the interview, but he he. Uh, graduated music industry arts in 1978. So that just gives you an idea of, you know, I, I graduated that program in, in 2017. So that's <laughs> 40, uh, 39 years later. Right. So it's just crazy to right. think that he was around back then taking that whole program, like before I existed. It's just, it's always fascinating <laughs> when you look back on someone's life and um, he, he passed away this year at, on October 10th, the age of 68 of cancer so mm-hmm. yeah very sad and that is that is quite young so i mean when oh yeah you, when we were younger you know when i'm when i was 10 years old i'd hear 68 and think wow that's old but now you know i'm <laughs> 33 that's <laughs> half my life is you know i'm halfway to 66 so yeah no it's it's impressive so well i like i said we'll find out what all he had to tell us there in 2018 um, 
And then after we'll come back and sort of discuss some of the things we talked about. I just, you know, I think he just left an impression. Whoever knew him, whoever, you know, encountered him, people, certain people can really leave an impression. Yeah, like there's certain people, you know, that probably if they did, if if they have ever met him, even even just once, probably, you would remember him. Um, yeah. So That's I don't know. I'm... I thought maybe I would I would just go back again and... and uh, Tell the tell anyone who's listening kind of how I how I met him. Maybe you wanna. I guess you met him through me, right? Pretty much. I don't know if you'd met him before. I guess, yeah. Um. So yeah, I um uh, back in two thousand five, I uh, I did a co op at a, a studio in Hamilton, a really small recording studio. My final year of high school. Yeah, that was a nice little place. Yeah. Um. So that actually was a studio run by Angela McKay, who. Again, this is just shows how old people we're getting and what happens in yeah. life. Like she's passed away as well, and Brian Weiss, um, who was her partner, um, he was the one that I actually got connected with in the first place to get this co-op opportunity, and he also yeah, that passed was a, away. So that was a nice little studio, right? Remember, didn't you say that they, the one Sarah McLaughlin album was rec- parts of it were recorded there? And it yeah, was I a mean, nice little. I was in there. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a small studio, but um, and I think when so maybe I, Tom was there. Did I run into? Did I meet him there? I, I can't. I don't know what you what, what when you met. Someone. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, All right. But uh, yeah, he was there. I think he came there maybe one one day um, to help me with MIDI, which is most people might know what that is. It's musical instruments digital interface is what it stands for. But it's essentially digital um, sounds and I don't know. I'm not really great at definitions, but uh, it's like a keyboard, like a keyboard. You know, most of those keyboards you can get. Yeah, electric keyboards have different sound effects. All you sorts know, of different effects. Violins. Um, you don't even actually need a keyboard. You can use the mouse to control it. Right. Which well, that's what I'm saying. Really help like, with us, but um, MIDI MIDI is doesn't isn't a keyboard. It's just got a bunch of the you know musical instrument sounds that a keyboard often has. Um. But uh. Yeah. So he actually. So I guess Brian Brian Weiss um knew of knew of Tom Decker like many many did, and uh, he just knew that. At that time, Tom actually had Sonar, um, which is the recording software for Windows that I, I used to use. I think it might be st- probably still around, but I haven't used it in years. But it was for Windows. And at the time, I was really trying to get into audio recording. I wanted to go to school for it. And back then, a lot of things weren't as accessible as they are today. But at that time, Sonar was accessible on a Windows computer with um jaws which which is the speech software that we used on windows at the time so tom had this already set up in his apartment in brantford and had this all going so i went to his apartment with my um um blind teacher or however you want to word it these terms oh, teacher yeah. of blind students in high school she uh she took me to his apartment and, I, and that was the first time i met him and i remember opening oh. up the door in there and he had his whatever he was working on in in uh, in sonar recording he had some sort of electronic sounds cranked up and music and it just <laughs> I walked into it and it was almost like another world going into his apartment. It just had this this feel to it and Wow, I don't know if you told me that before. Maybe oh, he shit. he just seemed very very eccentric, but in a in a good way or an interesting way and just very it was a really unique experience the first ever time I met him and then from there, you know, I saw him a few more times in in two thousand five. He came actually out to our I don't know if you remember this. He came to with Brian Weiss the one day to uh, our house just outside of Sweeberg where Carrie and I grew up. Um, it was I think it was a probably it might have been a weekday, but that's at the time when I was setting up 
sonar on my computer, so I had to install a sound card and get all that set up. So Brian Weiss brought Tom to to our house then, and uh, just because Tom already had this whole setup, so he helped with a few things there. And I don't know if you remember that day at all, but I remember going upstairs and Mum had made us some sandwiches and stuff for lunch and sitting at the <laughs> our old dining room table there. So you don't remember that? <clears throat> wow. Maybe no. you were off. At, you might have been off at school. Who knows? Who knows where I was? No, I, like I, he's one of those guys that just—it's hard to pinpoint really how I first heard of him. But I, I like your little story. Nice. Yeah, I guess I, uh, I kind of didn't didn't quite get into that one on the Rob episode. So, hmm. um, but yeah, so I met him then, and uh, I can't really remember after that if I'm if I connected with him again at all for years because I think. Yeah, I really don't. Hmm, I can't remember anything f- from then up until 2018 when he came here. There must have been some sort of mm. connection in there. I don't know how we kept in contact to some degree, but again, I think it's just. I think it does go to the fact that he was so had such an effect on people that even after not seeing him for 13 years, I still remembered him, and we still he was still prominent in the, enough in the blind community to be able to reconnect and. Uh, I didn't even realize that he'd moved out west to Victoria uh-huh. in 2014. I didn't really realize that. I don't think until 2017 or something, right when we started getting involved with the Canadian Federation of the Blind, I think. Um, oh, yeah, right. One of the events, I think was that for the Foundation Fighting Blindness, we had a table set up. Oh, was he there? No, but um, my oh. my mobility instructor here in London at the time came by, and I told her I was going to this convention out west, and she's like, "Oh, Tom will probably be there. He lives out there now." And I was like, "Oh, really?" Uh-huh. So, so she knew that, and um, like I said, so many people knew him, and you know, I want to, yeah, I want to say again that neither of us were su- super super close with no. him, but. Um, we're not we're not sharing any of this as uh you know claiming that we are his best friend of course not we um we just wanted to replay it in light of the events and yeah just... and i think a show a show talking about blindness and specifically yeah, I mean, in canada I'm... i think it's very important that we do mention him because he I was i think so and i think he did he is he did have a huge effect on the blind community especially in his older years which you'll hear about coming up now in this interview where he go, went on as to to really get into the iphone as it was released you know he was here when the iphone 3 came out in i think probably 2008 or 2009 right when voiceover finally became a thing on the iphone and he was a real um I, I would call him a trailblazer in Canada. I mean, for lack of a better word. Yeah, just, I remember. I'm sure he's had an effect on accessibility and on advocacy. You know, I'm sure he's had an effect. I remember I was listening to him on um, Kelly and Company, which is a show on AMI. Ex- What's that stand for again? Accessible. I should accessible know. Media Incorporated. Okay, yeah. Um, which is a. It's Accessible Media. Yeah. Yes. Accessible Media, which is what we're all about here on all right. Outlook. Uh, Tom was too. I know that. Yeah, so uh, on on Kelly and Company, the show that he he was featured on every week as the eye eye habilitation man, um, Kelly called him a guru. I don't know how, right. how you think of that, but I thought you know it's he's a trailblazing guru. Yeah. All right. Well, unless you have any other thoughts, I think we might as well get right into this interview. Sure. And as I said, we will be back after it to sum things up and. 
remember, this is one of our first shows, so it's <laughs> it might be a little bit different to, to listen back, yeah. but we're going to do a flashback from... 2018. O- October 15th, 2018. You are listening to 94.9 Radio Western, and welcome to another edition of Outlook with myself, Brian, and my sister is here. Yeah, uh, back again. I was sick last week, but uh, back again on another rainy Monday in October. Yeah, we were going to try and make it in for Thanksgiving Monday. Uh, There weren't a lot of people here that day anyway, and Carrie was not feeling good, unfortunately, so we couldn't make it, but we are back today, and we have a special guest. Yes. Say hello, special guest. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you you were in town here on your Ontario visit, uh, and we sort of... Snagged you here for this uh, interview, so that's great that you could be here. Um, you're you're not from Ontario, well. Well, I was originally from Ontario, but I right. retired in 2014. I used to be a re- rehabilitation teacher in Toronto, except that I taught iPhone for the last three or four years of it. So I guess I was more of an rehabilitation teacher, which is now the name of my company. My name's Tom Decker, by the way, and uh, now I'm sort of retired, but trying to go back into business and trying to promote political activities that uh, work on accessibility and that sort of thing. So it's all part of being, what do we call it, semi-retired, I suppose. Right. Yeah, sounds like you've retired, but you're still doing a lot of stuff. So, yeah, it's great, though, you know, keeping busy. And But how do you like it out there in um, B.C.? Well, the weather is wonderful. The public transit leaves a lot to be desired, and mm-hmm. Victoria, as beautiful a city as it is, is not necessarily so accessible because there are lots of five- and six-way intersections with multiple islands at an intersection, so there's a lot of intersections there that I'm advised not to try to cross, so it puts a bit of a cramp in wandering around. In certain ways, I felt com- more comfortable living in New York City when I lived there than I do in Victoria, but yeah, the weather is nice, and there's a lot of wonderful things about it. Yeah, no, it it was um, it blew me away when I heard you used to live in New York. There, that's, um, but maybe start with um, you are blind, correct? I am a blind person. I've been blind mm-hmm. since uh, since birth, and but I've worked in the music industry, and then I uh, got involved in assistive technology because of being involved in some political organizations. And out of all that, I ended up, at age 50, I decided I still wasn't too old to go back to school, so I went back and trained as a rehabilitation instructor for the vision impaired. And I've just done a lot of stuff related to that, as I say, especially to do with uh, taking the instructional sorts of things to do with rehab teaching and transferring them over to how to use a touch screen when you can't see it. So that's what I'm in Ontario to do this time. I'll be doing a presentation at the CNIB National Braille Conference next week. Last Friday I did a presentation at the London CNIB Community Hub. I'll be doing another one at the Toronto CNIB Community Hub on Monday, and, uh, oh... Yeah, it's a week from today. Yeah. And the, CNI- the CNIB conference, the Braille conference, actually, will be talking about next week because Carrie and I will also both be attending that conference, and Carrie, actually, will be speaking. 
Yeah, so I've been asked to do a presentation there as well. So I've never been, so that's exciting. Um, you have been, been, Tom, to that conference? Oh, I've been to a number of Braille conferences. Yeah, I pre presented a couple of times. Are either of you coming to my presentation? Well, we had a bit of a <laughs> conflict with that because... <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, Carrie is, and I wanted to, but then Carrie was saying, oh, I want you to go to oh, a different on. one so that you can record it and I can hear uh, that one. So so I don't know yet. We'll, we'll see. But I haven't, I've signed up for something else. But, but you're uh, presenting both days, I, right? Or, no, I'm no, just presenting just the one. Thursday. Someone oh. else is presenting. Oh, someone else is presenting, yeah. yeah that, that, day, that whole agenda was a little bit confusing for me for some reason. Yeah, but. Carrie and I have never been to the right. Braille conference, so... And every session has four possibilities, so it's, or every yeah. time slot has four session possibilities. There's a lot going on at the Braille conference. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's coming up this Thursday and Friday in, in Toronto at the Science Centre, yeah, so... Yeah, Toronto Science Centre. I, I think it's too late to register. I think it closed this past <laughs> Friday, but... Yeah, I'm There's a lot of people coming from all over the country for that, I'll tell you. It's going to be fun to catch up with a lot of folks because a lot of people are interested. See, for learning Braille, we have all sorts of textbooks about how to put your hands when you read Braille, how to do this, do that. There's, all, there's a whole lot of literature about that. But for the iPhone, sure, we have lots of podcasts of blind people demoing apps going, oh, you just do this and you just do that and everything goes 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And it's all fun if you have some experience with the iPhone. But there isn't much literature about their, about how do you teach a person to hold the phone in their hand? How, how do you teach them to track the screen so that they can, they can explore the same way you would track a braille page to explore it? Because before the touch screen came along, all anybody could do was look at a screen. There was no point touching the screen. Right. It wasn't yeah, a touch a whole screen. new concept over the last several years that that's just kind of started up. And obviously touch screens can be a real pain for the blind, like those... Some know, of them that aren't accessible. machines that are not, obviously that don't speak... It's just touch. Um, whereas the iPhone is is such an amazing thing, and it's obviously changed what you uh, have been up to, Tom, since it came out. And like you said, the first time I got it in my hand, I was sort of like, "What do I do with this thing?" And so you need to start somewhere, and that's great that you offer that. So well, it seems to be taking off, and people seem to be interested. And the purpose of my presentation at the Braille conference isn't so much to go on and talk about all the cool ways to do it as to short uh, present those ways but also say does this literature exist yet and if it doesn't exist should be we be working on it and i just saw yesterday where there's 45 people registered for my presentation and a lot of folks know what i've been fiddling with and playing with so that tells me that there's a really cool contingent of people who want to hear about this and explore it and i'm hoping that this will be the beginning of a whole field of study where a lot of the people who are interested in this will start thinking a lot more about how do we write textbooks that, that teach this access to the iPhone the same way we have textbooks over the years that have taught access to Braille. Because of the touchscreen and the Braille page commonality, I, I think there's a big space there that actually needs to be filled that will help people learn a lot more quickly. That's amazing, yeah. Because, I mean, most people don't maybe realize that we use the iPhone. Um, you can just swipe. Yeah, and I mean, left it, and right. I sort of compare it to using a, a map, where it's it's trying to picture something in your in your mind when you can't see, but still kind of knowing what's in relation to what. And yeah, it's exactly mm. that with the touch screen, where you know which row and which column a certain app is, and you can automatically touch that spot and be right there instead of swiping along until you get to it, and then and then uh, getting into it from that. Well, the interesting approach. thing is that, you know. 
it wasn't part the the way blind people have used computers. Blind people use computers, yep, and they're very good at computers. But the fact is that a lot of blind people who use the computer, they use the arrow keys to look around for what they can find. They use the tab key to look around for what they can find, and then when they hear what they were looking for, they press enter. So when you transfer that over to the iPhone, it's flick, 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 flick until you finally get to the thing that you want. Mm. And you think some people are really quick iPhone users, but you can flick 20 times, yeah. but if you can drag down one time and be to the next thing you wanted, you just skip 19 flicks. So some of these <laughs> folks sound like they're proficient with their phone. Yeah, you hear them they're going, doing a going, whole going, but, lot of extra work yeah. to get the job done because they used a computer and they didn't have to relate to a screen. But once you can relate to a screen, everything gets way, way, way faster. Yeah. So I guess we will probably come back to this topic uh, in a few minutes, but... Um, today is actually um, October 15th, which is White Cane Day, uh, if some people aren't aware. So uh, you have had how many dogs, guide dogs? dogs? I'm on my sixth dog right now, and I'll tell you, the reason I first got a dog was because one friend, I, I was sure I'd never have a dog. I was fine with a cane. I wasn't, I was 25 when I got my first dog. What made uh, me switch from the cane was that I was going somewhere with a friend, and she said, okay, let's go. And I had taken the first few steps and thought I was doing well. And then suddenly from a long distance away, I heard a voice go, hurry up. <laughs> and it was a particularly complicated route that we were doing. I don't know. We were going, I think it was the graduate student residence at U of T. And there were benches and planters and all sorts of fun things you had to negotiate. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. She got through this whole thing that fast. What number do I dial to get one? Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it helps us so much, right, for get, navigating around obstacles and stuff compared to a cane where it's well, just... I think people are confused as to what the responsibility of the guide dog is and what the responsibility of the person, the handler, is, right? Like, guide dogs are supposed to take you around, like, a, some broken glass on the sidewalk. But you or can't a use a guide dog until you know how to navigate with a cane. Well, exactly, right. and that's what schools stress, or they should stress. That is very important. But um, so today is White Cane Day. You have your guide dog here with you, but you came here today to the studio with us with your white cane. So maybe explain why why sometimes you or others might make that decision. Well, because I didn't have to do a whole lot of traveling, and I was taking a cab over here because I didn't know where it was. And there's no point taking your dog if you don't know where to direct it. Right. So uh, yeah, I just figured it was of, quick. But you know, this year. When we went to the National Federation of the Blind Conference in Florida, I left my dog home, and I was determined to prove that to myself that I could still use a cane. Yeah. And see, that's a good thing to be able to do. Like, even though yeah. you have a dog, still keep up that cane practice they a little bit. They stress that because, because the dog could get sick at any time. You don't want to think about that, but you know, you don't want to be stuck all of a sudden, and you know, be. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a decision everybody makes at one time or another. Brian and I both had dogs, and we sort of did the same thing, depending on the situation. Um, but the, as far as the debate between guide dog and cane, it's sort of a... It's a matter of personal choice. Yeah, yeah no, And it's sure. a matter of situation. I mean, I don't want my dog to be... There are some people who take their dog everywhere no matter what, and, and, and I've never been like that. There's lots of times when you don't... Why, why put the dog in an uncomfortable situation if you don't need to? And the more fluent you are with your cane, the, the, the better position you're in to have uncomfortable situations for your puppy. We don't want to have that. And the... the, the the people you're staying with here in town 
uh, happen to have two other guide dogs. There. Oh yeah, they're having they're so probably they're, being crazy. Well, having we're a ball. <laughs> yeah, we visited there yesterday, and it was it is different when you haven't been around that for a while. Yeah, and then you forget what it's like. Three you know? dogs, and it's, you and I had two. In, yeah, we in each had house. one. Yeah, we've each had. Karen and I have each just had one dog in our life lifetimes, and uh, yeah, when we both had them at home growing up, it was. It was interesting, and yesterday fun. sort of took us back to that. Yeah. Well, my favorite birthday party was my 60th birthday because we got to turn seven Labradors loose in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> that was a picnic. There you go. <laughs> That's great. The work he did helped people skip 19 cl- flicks. <laughs> yeah, I thought that part was funny when he was talking about that with the iPhone. And uh, you're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. We are replaying our interview with the great Tom Decker, from October 15th of 2018, he was on the fourth episode of Outlook in the studio at the time. And unfortunately, we are playing this because he recently passed away of cancer at the age of 68. So we thought no better way to pay tribute to Tom than play this uh, this interview. So we're about halfway through. We're going to take a little break now for some promos. But we will be back with the second half of our... 2018 interview with Tom Decker. Welcome back. You are listening to Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western or on the podcast platforms. And we are listening to a theme right now, our theme for Outlook, which was written by the guest we're featuring as sort of um, tribute uh, on today's episode. So this is the theme he created for us. And we always want to mention that, of course, when we talk about Tom. Yeah, so Tom Decker wrote this theme actually right after we recorded the interview that we're currently in the middle of listening to. And yeah, we came back to my apartment and we recorded it which I'll talk a bit more about after the interview. But uh, yeah, if you you just heard the music in the background and you've heard it at the beginning of every show of ours. And for whatever reason, I keep forgetting. It was the thing I wanted to mention right away, even on Rob's episode a couple weeks ago, that I wanted to mention right away that Tom had wrote the theme for our show. But I guess it's become such a part of our show that we, I don't even, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to say I take it for granted because I really don't. I, I appreciate so much that he did that. And it, it means a lot. And just the fact now that we have this show about blind people and the someone who's blind did the theme. I mean, that's all about the the philosophy yeah. of blindness, and it's just he'll it's, always be a part of the show. And you know, the show is we do this show for the same reason he did all the things he did for rehab and for iPhone training and all that. So yeah, so I just think that's super cool. And but I what wanna, a musician! Yeah, I just want to thank just thank Tom for doing that because it. It does. It adds so much to the show, and it's such a funky kind of retro theme. I know you talked about that before. How it <laughs> feels like it's maybe straight out of the '70s or something. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I really just wanted to keep meaning to bring that up to our listeners and keep forgetting. So uh, there you go. Thanks to Tom Decker, we finally had a theme after our fourth episode. And uh, <laughs> what do you think? Should we get back into the final half of our interview with Tom? I think so. All right. 
Here we go. But, you know, the important thing is that the, to use the cane, for example, I went to convention. All I had was the cane. The dog was back home in Canada. And then we had this lovely thing called a visual interpreter service, which is called ERA. And how that works is that you hold out your iPhone. You're connected to a trained representative who looks through the camera of your iPhone and guides you where you're going. They can also pull up Google floor plans and everything to see where you are. So I would just open ERA on my iPhone and say, I'm in this part of the hotel, I need to get to another. So with my phone in one hand and my cane in the other, I was able to travel through this monstrously complicated hotel without help from anybody except the Ava rep speaking... In fact, in my case, because my iPhone is hooked up to my hearing aids, it's great. I'm just boogieing through this hotel with nothing but a cane, and this voice in my head is telling me, turn left, go around, oh, there's some people there, oh, watch out for that pillar, okay, now the stairs are coming up. So yeah. here I am in this hotel where I've never been, being guided by this voice, and just flying through the place with a cane. So now I'm not afraid of a, what happens if I can't use a dog, and that's partly why I did that, so I would make sure to reestablish my confidence with a cane. Right, and you and you used Ira uh, uh, at the airport when on your way here too? Yeah, in the Calgary airport. I got off at gate A15 and I just pulled out my phone, called up the Ira rep and said, hello, I need to get to B37. And uh, she just said, scan your phone for a minute or so. Let me see where you are. Scan from left to right. She said, okay, now I know. Yep, turn just a bit to the left. Okay, walk straight. And from there, she guided me through several long hallways and through several food courts and all kinds of things like they have it an airport and there I was at my next gate she guided me right to a chair where to sit she said now move your camera the service ca the service desk is there the chair is right in front of you sit down have a nice evening no local human assistance required yeah and <laughs> that's incredible airports are one of the trickiest places yeah. to navigate with, without sight um, yeah. they offer or they should offer um, a, rep, a rep to help you find your gate and all that and but yeah it definitely happened at at this past convention in Orlando that we've been discussing that I heard where some people had got left behind and had to miss their flight because a bunch of blind people showed up at the airport after the convention and there were only so many volunteers yeah. or people at the airport to help them get onto the plane crazy. so yeah. it's stuff like that can happen and you know with technology and IRA and stuff well that's what happens when 2400 blind people are all trying to come and go at the same time yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so we were all three of us were also all at that um, convention back in or, uh, uh, July there so have in you, Orlando we were just curious Tom if, have you been to any other NFB conventions before no that was your my first, first time? NFB that was your first convention one too. I've oh. been to a number of American Council of the Blind conventions okay oh Right. So there's several organizations there's for the blind. Yeah, so there's, because um, you've also been to the uh, AEBC convention before, right? Is that correct? I have. That, which is the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians. Mm -hmm. Another have organization. have so many groups. That, yeah, as Carrie just said. We just need one group all organized to kind of, uh, I think they call it solidarity. But the only problem is we none of us can decide which, which group <laughs> that should where to be. Go and That's so kind of a Canadian around. problem more so than an American Yeah, problem. indecisive uh, sort of... Uh, that's true. <laughs> we know all about that. Our indecisiveness. But, um, I just wanted to uh, jump topics a little bit and quickly mention that um, you said you were in, in the music industry for a little bit, or at least involved in some degree. And I, I know you went to Fanshawe and studied music industry arts, which I graduated from last year. So maybe just a quick quick overview on your experience in the music world. Well, my and experience you know, in the music industry was that I decided I didn't want to be in it. <laughs> well, I sort of didn't stay. Yeah, I got involved enough. in blind it's politics one, after yeah. I graduated from Fanshawe, and then mm -hmm. uh, 
And that led me into a job where I was using technology, and then I got a bunch of equipment from rehab, so all of a sudden I found myself in the assistive tech business. And the thing is that when you go to a, pl a place like the Fanshawe Music Program to break into the music industry, the first bunch of the gig is like, here, go wind up these chords. Here, go bring people coffee. Right. All sorts of stuff yeah. that you can't necessarily do conveniently as a blind person. Yeah, that's what I've found for sure. It's like, yeah, a lot of them is setting up mics, tearing mics down, and it's not something that's impossible it's just it's tough when you're in a setting in a studio and it's like yeah this band's just traveled in here and they're paying for this and we need you to quickly set up all these drum mics There's it's a like pace you gotta keep up yeah with. it's it is definitely a bit of a challenge at least the cool thing now is that the home software is so good i mean you've got pro tools on your mac mini there and you don't even need a recording studio you can just <laughs> do your own thing right from home now and it has pretty much the same quality as it would have done in a professional studio. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, just, I, I do find it fascinating that you took that co same course back in, I think, the 70s, you said, because it's just, it's so different now, and it would be, you know, sometimes I wish I could go back to that time and just take it then just to get the comparison and see what it was like before all the digital... Yeah, because I didn't have any of the accessibility issues back in 1975 to 1978 that you had in 2013, 14, 15. Yeah, it all switches over, right? And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, the skills are still useful, though, because because of all my Fanshawe experience, at Balance, I got them interested in the idea. Not only did I get them in, into the idea of teaching a whole lot of iPhone, but we started doing independent living skills podcasts, so I'm probably about the only person you'll ever meet who has an undergraduate in audio production and a postgraduate in rehabilitation teaching. So there I was making all these podcasts for the balanced participants. So it all fit in to do something pretty diverse and pretty interesting, really. I, I, I've been lucky in how all the weird stuff I've done in my life has actually coalesced into, be, into something kind of pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's a good point. It's you know, you might study something or, or go into something and then realize, oh, I'm not going to make, make this my living, but you can still use aspects from that in future careers or interests. Oh, totally. And, you know, we'll be doing that. Uh, my website, for those who are interested, is uh, www.ihabilitation. Think about rehabilitation, but take the re away and put the I of iPhone. So www.ihabilitation.ca. And if you know any vision-impaired people out there who want help with their iPhone, you can come to the website, you can go to the coaching page, and we're using the Zoom cloud meeting platform, and we'll be doing lessons. And they're not only lessons for blind people, but they have a video component, a split-screen component that goes with it too, so that on one side of the screen, you see my hands doing the gestures on the iPhone, how you're supposed to uh, operate it. And on the other part of the screen, you actually see a real-time version of the iPhone reacting to the gestures. So a sighted uh, educational assistant or teacher oh, or wow. parent so, yeah, or friend that, yeah. can watch and say, this is what he's doing. Here, let me show you. So it, it's all about inclusive design and all that sort of thing. You know, a lot of people, blind people, complain about inclusive design and say, well, they never include us. But the fact is, inclusive design includes everybody because if it doesn't include everybody, then it isn't inclusive design, is it? <laughs> well, that's really great, the things you're doing in that website uh, you just shared with everybody. And um, it's, it's amazing how time flies at the half hour flying by but um again thanks for coming on because i mean i guess i'd say i would it's that thing about oh 
somebody will ask you, oh, you're blind. Well, do you know this so-and-so, the one blind person they know? They ask you, you must know them, right? Yeah, they always think, oh, you're blind. You must know every other blind person. And so that's not the case. But, I mean, we've known of Tom Decker for a long time. Never met him until I've, well, I... I've met him a yeah, couple times 13 or so years ago, um, which is seems like ages ago now. But, yeah, he, he is definitely one of those... He's definitely... As Carrie and I have commented with our show, we've kind of been out of touch with the blind community and we're starting to get back into it. But but you're on things like AMI uh, every week. I'm also, on AMI, which is uh, a Accessible Media Audio, every Tuesday audio. afternoon at 3.30, where the iHabilitation Man makes his appearance on Kelly and Company right. on so AMI-audio. You're, you're the iHabilitation Man. Yeah. So again, you're you're pretty well known across <laughs> Canada and maybe even I seem to be getting that way. Yeah, yeah. famous. For somebody who's retired, it, it seems to be happening. Well, that's that's great. I mean, you've you've seen a lot. You've done a lot. You've been many places and lived many places. And so and, one uh, one good question would be, which I think we kind of thought about was, how have you noticed over you, you know you're a bit a bit older than Carrie and I, yeah, so kind of end on this. Yeah, this question. Yeah how how have you noticed accessibility and living life as a quality, as a blind person? How has that changed over over your lifetime here in Canada specific here in Can- Canada yeah, specific, specific to Canada. Canada. Well, it hasn't changed as much in Canada as it's changed in some other places, but when you consider that I did university by writing all my stuff on a Braille writer, and then when I had it the way I wanted, sitting there and physically transcribing it from the Braille writer to the typewriter so that the sighted people could read it. I mean, I tell the young kids now that we used to do that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the young ones coming up can't even use a Braille slate and stylus. And, you know, yeah. I took notes all the way through university with a slate and stylus. Wow. Nowadays, yeah. when I've used it, but not... not. Uh, I picked it up lately again, and it's like, not wow. Not a ton, yeah. It is a slow slow process, but you probably got pretty... That's how you did it back then. But everything's sure accessible that. on one level, but on another level, when the power goes down, everybody stops, you know? <laughs> yeah, you stop. That slate and stylus might come in handy. Yeah, I remember still. how to use a brailler or a no. slate and stylus, yeah. yeah. But there's definitely way more accessibility. I mean, now that we have iBooks and Kindle and everything, mm. for now, any book that's a bestseller that just comes out now, we can read it at the same time as everybody else. I mean, mm. that was unheard of. It used to be that you'd wait two or three years for the selection committee to decide whether we should make that book available in an accessible form. You know, there's not that stuff going on anymore. You can just get books like everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference now to what what it used to be like. Yeah, so it's great to talk to different people who have um, seen different things. Yeah, have different, more life experience and sort of, you know, been through but again, times and again, we wish we had, you know, many more half hours to keep talking. Yeah, there's to a you. lot to talk about. We still have a couple minutes left, so yeah, we can um, maybe talk about a couple, uh, something else. If, <laughs> I don't know what we got here. I'm trying to time it out, but... There's still a couple minutes left. <laughs> anyway. Um, a half hour flies by. Yeah, it does. So again, you're at... Um, do you have any other social media? Or you basically anything else you do like to anything promote else you want to plug or, plug or your website? I'm iHabilitation on Twitter. I'm www.ihabilitation.ca. I'm iHabilitation on Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm pretty findable. If you type iHabilitation into Google, you'll find me. It's really that easy because I right. just I'm trying to be out there. Yeah, especially I think last now, time right? I looked, I had 2,850 contacts on LinkedIn. <laughs> Wow, that's impressive. I've been building that list since 2011, so when it's time for me to sell my little coaching courses online, I, you know, I can tell 2,800 people in one message, and a lot of them are teachers of the vision impaired and people who are actually going to care, so, uh, you know, it's a 
pretty cool position to be in for my little semi-retirement career thing. Yeah, it's all about building that community, and I yep. found getting back into the, the blind community the last year or so, um, it's, I've already started to build up some, some con- quite a few connections and contacts. So, you know, just over time you get more and more. And, um, especially now with social media, it's so easy to sort of make that happen. Well, my uh, social media effort for the guide dog coalition, which is to be talked about another week, <laughs> by the time I finished, it reached 44,000 people on Facebook. And uh, there was a lot of response from around the country. And I sort of looked at it and went, Oh, how did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like magic, but uh, it takes definitely takes some work. There's a lot of, I find there's a lot of older people that are, you know, it's it's hard to keep keep in uh, keep up with all this new technology. So it's great to see that that you're still, you know, in it, and you're not just being like, oh, I don't have time for Facebook or this or that. Pardon you know, me, but I generally get bored by people. I'll be 67 in March, by the way. I'm an old thing. <laughs> I, oh, I guess that's not old anymore. But not too frankly, old now. A lot of people my age, I find boring. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good that you're still keeping it interesting. And, you can uh, admit that here. It's all right. I don't yeah, care. Absolutely. It's true. I don't worry about that anymore. I want to do my knitting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yep. Well, you're listening to Outlook, everybody. Um, yeah, thanks you, for tuning in. You can find us on Twitter at um, Outlook CFB. Yep, check that out. We need. We don't have that many followers yet. We just set it up. So <laughs> yeah, we're just we starting get up out on here. that. But thanks. Glad to have you as our, our second guest Oh, well, well, thank you. I, I'm spreading the word about the CFB, too, So because we, we need to make that a broadly-based organization. Yeah, you've been very supportive of us here in Ontario, specifically. Yeah, we've, just, that, we've so. mentioned on this show that's kind of the inspiration for the show is the CFB in Ontario starting mm-hmm. up here. So, yeah, thanks so much for promoting that and talking about it because it, it means a lot. And um, Yeah, we'll have you back yeah, again. Look, look them up, ihabilitation.com, I think. .ca. .ca, sorry. We're in Canada. We're Canadian. I should get that right, but, yeah. Thanks right. so much and we'll be back. We'll be back next week. We will be back bye, bye. next week. Zoom. Thank you. That was Tom. That was great. I just I thought it was funny. He referenced Zoom in that interview, which back in 2018 I hadn't heard of. And now I use it all the time during this pandemic. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh like like I was saying before, actually, I heard this interview a couple weeks ago, but I missed that part. I think I was maybe making uh-huh. coffee or getting ready in the morning. Um, but I missed the Zoom part, and yeah, he mentioned uh, the the Zoom cloud service, and uh, you know, I, I knew I knew it like I'd heard that it was around back then, but back then I hadn't heard of it at all. So, just, right, but that's what we're saying. Like that guy was on the on the cusp of technology. Yeah, well, he was involved <laughs> in so much with his eye habilitation, and just like that's that's the newer thing that he's been involved in. But you know, since the well, I'm sure. His entire life, but especially it sounds like from the eighties on, he started getting into into uh, rehabilitation and stuff like that, and just kept kept going with that kind of stuff. And uh, just such a fascinating interview to listen back to. I find when I heard it a couple weeks ago, I was I hadn't heard it since we did it. And I, w- I gotta say, I I was quite impressed, and I think it's just the presence that he brings, and uh, um, for being one of our early episodes, I think he really was a, a great guest and just made for such a fascinating interview. Yeah. I mean, in that interview there near the end, I said, yeah, I hope we'll have, have it do this again sometime. And, you know, sadly that didn't happen, but like you said, I, uh, we're glad we did this the one time and we're glad we have his theme, uh, which we'll always have with the show. And so what, you know, what more could you ask for there? Yeah. Rest in power, rest in peace. However you prefer to say that. 
It's just, uh, I am really happy that we did get him on our show once because how can you really have a, a show about advocacy and accessibility for the blind without having Tom Decker on it, you know? Right, exactly. And a lot of the things he talked about in that interview are, are things we'll, we've talked about also and that we'll keep talking about. Yeah, so many. The the cane and guide dog comparisons, I think, are is a big one. His his discussion about about learning Braille and having just talking about that a little bit and then more so translating over to the iPhone, I think is a huge one that, yeah, you know, it's some people pick up on the on the touchscreen idea and are able to learn it. But other people, it's like anything. It, 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 you, you do need help sometimes. And it's it's are there resources out there to really teach it yet? I'm, I don't really know. So I think he is trailblazing and just ahead of ahead of his time, really. And it's it's just so interesting when you hear all of that stuff in one one interview like that just someone's entire life story and it does give me it gives me hope for for the future just to see that how much he accomplished in his life and it wasn't until the 90s that he moved to New York and all of this and you know it just makes me realize that I still have a long life ahead of me and so much can, can yeah it's, I mean it's it sounds like he started over if you want to use that term uh, multiple times you know you're just one of those you know very good with persevering and picking yourself up and and start you know trying something new yeah it's uh it's so great and you know he was at that the convention that we were at in 2018 which is <laughs> interesting because it had just happened and that's when things really started getting exciting for for me and anyway because it was just such it was all still so new to me and like like I commented in that interview a couple times I think that we were kind of out of the blind community for the most part and uh that was right around after we started to get back into it and you can see someone like Tom you know he went to school for for music originally so maybe he would have gone on to something else a bit more if that had if that had turned out but um he ended up going back to more rehab stuff and that really did pay off and I think will have an influence on generations to come so Mm-hmm. Yeah, so rest in peace, Tom Decker. Thanks for everything. Um, I just, you know, Tom did mention there that he switched, obviously, careers and things, music and technology, and then he went to rehab, and he used the term um, blind politics. Did you mm-hmm. pick up on that? Yeah. Yeah. And there was, a, there was the discussion about all uniting as one, and uh, yeah, solidarity yeah. is the word that he used, and then yeah. then sort of commenting on how, um, you know, other in Canada it seems to be harder for us to uh, make a decision or at least stand our ground on one thing or another compared to other countries such as the USA to some degree with 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 blindness stuff. I mean, yeah, of course there's other there's a bunch of different organizations in in the U.S. as well, just like there are in Canada, multiple mm-hmm. organizations. But it does seem like in some way. Well, I think everyone knows that Canadians are known for being a little more wishy-washy and sort of in the middle of everything, which in some ways is a good thing, but sometimes it is good to sort of pick something and stick with it and really work at it. Because if you're, if it's, there's nothing wrong with kind of having a a foot in all sorts of organizations. It's good to know what's out there, but you do kind of have to pick one to really put all your effort or a lot of your effort into because... Yeah, it's just, it's too much work to be doing them all. And one thing that we can all agree on, I th- I don't see why not, is as blind people all working together as one because we're going to know overall what's best for us because we're the ones who live it every day. So that's just why we 
we keep you know i don't i don't want to be preachy at all about the the canadian federation of the blind it's one of those things if if you're at the time in your life when it's right and you discover it that's that's yeah. great we're not the type of organization that wants to force it on people and stuff but it's more like it's just more so common philosophy and common standards that we're agreeing on and this this whole idea that i'm talking about sort of ties in a little bit to this this upcoming election in the u.s which i know you wanted to briefly mention on this show we don't want to we don't want to get too much into it because this is a tribute for tom but I think we'd well, be... we don't have a whole other hour left no. to talk about it. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it at all. And I and I do think there is sort of some comparisons there where it's like we have to look at overall values and all work together as one. Yeah, we are all individuals. We all have our own individual needs, but we all have one thing in common as blind people. We're all blind. So why aren't we all working together and making decisions for ourselves instead of having other people making decisions for blind people it just it doesn't seem right and uh that's kind of overall this these people people are trying to make you know the virus stuff a political issue the covid stuff and it's not a political mm -hmm. issue it's a it's it's public a, health it's public health and values and caring for one another and all working yeah. together and i just i can see a connection between that and a lot of things so i think it ties into this whole blindness movement thing to some degree as well well, as we're discovering advocacy in our 30s, uh, as you say, <clears throat> discovering the blindness community that we were away from for so long, that's all political. I grew up hating politics, but I realized that to a degree, I'm not going to become a politician, but to a degree, I want to get involved here because politics is everything. Politics is everything in life right now. So this episode will be airing on the radio station, 94.9 Radio Western. Um the day before the U.S. election. So I just, yeah, I thought we should comment on that and say that here at Outlook, we, you know, like you said, we have values and standards and what for what we want in our lives and the activism that we are, are engaging in lately is advocacy to fight for, for our blind Canadians, for blind people, but also just we here believe in decency. And I don't really feel like if the guy in the White House now gets a second term, I don't know what's going to be. And I'm worried about people I care about there. Um, so I hope everything turns out. I just want to say that. I hope everything turns out okay. And yes, this is all stuff that we can't dis we can't disengage from. No, and it's 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 one of these things that, yes, the, the election to the south of us, we don't have any control over here. It's, it's something mm -hmm. I try not to... I know it's easier and right said now than... it doesn't directly involve us, but it, yet it hurts my heart to see what's going on there and, and, and that it, it's bringing back decency and, and rights for women and civil rights and, and disability rights are, 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 are part of that. And, uh... and I think it's, it's, I know it's easier said than done to say, to say this, but, and I know I'm, I'm a little more, I'm different than you <laughs> to some degrees, but I just, I can't waste. I can't use all my energy worrying about another country's election that I have no control over. But at the same point, I can't, I also can't say like that I can't do anything about things that value yeah. and stuff because, because it's too big of a picture because in Canada here, I can do things. And I, I think, and I hope with, with things like outlook and our involvement with the Canadian Federation of the blind and just, just being decent people overall with values and everything. I, I think, I hope to say that. And I, I feel true to that. So I just think... Um, like you said, you don't like politics either, right? But we, we have to do our part somehow. 
Yeah, and I also do think can. it's a it's an age thing where um yeah. someone like like Tom, especially even in his older years, he really gets into that. And I I do see that. I think when I was in my te- late teens or early 20s, I wasn't really focused on this blindness stuff in the community and all that because mm-hmm. I was trying to work on my own self. I was worried more so about myself, but we that's important obviously, but at some point you do have to start worrying about everyone and sort of have a overall society a view to, of how you you want things to be yeah trying to better things yeah for the greater good not just for yourself and i think that's i do think yeah. that that's the main the main issue that that divide is dividing people with this with covid and everything i think is that people are again i i hate making judgments because there's always exceptions but i just think people on a whole are too selfish and they're thinking you know it's generally middle-aged white people who are saying oh everything's been is fine with me i'm you know i'm still surviving so i'm just gonna go on the way things are and what's not do anything problem? about it what's the problem but it's it's easy to say that if you're not in those situations so i just think well lately i've been listening to a few protest songs and they make me feel better and the one line in one of the songs i'm listening to is no man's ignorance will ever be his virtue and that's just what we do here at outlook we're trying to just deal with a bit of the ignorance because some some of it's understandable but to a certain point you have to stand up and and you know stand up for something and then i still always go back to this and i don't like to totally focus on it 100 percent, but i do think a lot of this i still don't love i don't love that's why i never judge people or or anything like that because all of this stuff comes from a deeper issue it's not a lot of times, sure, we're adults and we are responsible for our own decisions and stuff. But at the same time, a lot of it does have to do with the cycles and systems and and uh, our childhood and all this kind of stuff that goes into it. So I just think in society in general, we need to focus more on 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 mental health and just humanity as a whole. And it's I don't know, it's a tough tough thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it had to be talked about and. Um... We all talk about it in our own way. Tom did, you did, I do. We're trying. Yeah, it all affects us in, to some degree, and we're all trying. So that's all that's important. And don't know how else to end things here. We want to leave it somewhat on a happy note. Um, but uh, sure. Well, this is us is back, so I'm 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 all right. Oh, maybe I should watch that. I know you've been talking about yes. it a lot. And I see a lot about it. I'm terrible with keeping up on TV, but maybe I'll try and do that. One well, of these it's got some audio. It's got audio description if you watch it live on TV. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. We're all about audio description here on Outlook. Yep, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> all right. All right. We will see you after November third. Take care, everyone. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.